Hi, welcome to what I'm looking at. This is the 100th episode. I feel like there should be trumpets happening or something. Da 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 da! 100th episode. I'm here with Peppy, the dog, and um, I have all of your questions in front of me. I have a bottle of flat sparkling water next to me for hydration because this is going to be kind of a marathon episode and I don't want to ramble on too much in the beginning because I do anticipate it being getting kind of long. I mean, maybe, maybe it'll go fast. I really don't know. Just a little update on me and my life. In Austin, South by Southwest has officially been canceled due to virus, and that's interesting. What else? I vacuumed my car today, vacuumed it out, and Peppy has a new shirt on. I guess I didn't really need to update you. Uh, everything is going along, time is moving, and I'm just happy that you're here. It's kind of crazy to me that I've made a hundred episodes of this show, and you're still listening to it. Thank you. I, I really can't thank you enough for listening, and even though I don't interact with most of you, I appreciate you all the same, whether you have me on in the background as a relaxation measure or, you know, you're falling asleep to it, to this podcast, or for some other reason that I can't think of right now. I'm kind of tired. I thought maybe it's not the right time to record this while I'm tired, but then I thought maybe... I would come up with more truthful, I mean, I would be truthful anyway, but maybe more blunt answers if I'm tired. We'll see. Let's jump right in. Oh, and by the way, in case you're curious, I received 53 questions from you all. 100 was a big goal, you know. I didn't really expect to get 100, but I'm very happy with 53. Question number one. What's your favorite kind of tea? Broadly, I would say if I had to choose a favorite kind of tea, like one that I reach for the most, it would be Hongcha or black tea. Uh, I, I love the kind of dried fruitiness of black tea, good black tea, and the earthiness and slight spiciness that it can have. I tend to like darker teas, so I'm not super into green tea and white tea, but I still like it. I just, it's not what I reach for every day. My everyday tea is definitely black tea or oolong, but on the subject of oolong, if I were to choose maybe a very specific favorite, it would be Gaba oolong. For some reason, 
GABA oolong tea, and GABA just means that it's a, well, GABA is, is a neuro, neurotransmitter that is in your brain. I hope I'm getting this right, but I'm not going to look it up. Um, and this tea is specifically dried and processed in a way that actually makes it produced, produce more GABA than normal. And the purported benefits are increased cognition and I think lowering blood pressure or cholesterol. I'm probably completely messing this up, but the main reason I like it is because of the taste. It's got this roast, and there's different kinds, but it's got this roastiness from the oolong. And the last GABA tea that I really loved that happened to be from Taiwan, from Floating Leaves Tea in Seattle, um, it, it tasted like pumpkin pie. Not, you know, obviously not really like pumpkin pie, but it had this pumpkin spiciness to it, like fall time. And I was obsessed with that tea. I could have it every single day. And the leaves were huge. Like, I would put five grams in the teapot. And it would just absolutely fill the whole teapot. And it's really hard to get the leaves out. But, yeah. Gabu Oolong, one of my favorites. And that's just like a general generalization. And Hong Chao, which of course there are so many types of black teas. But... The color of the broth, of the liquor, is always just so beautiful with black tea. It's like a, a red red tea also is what it's called, but we won't get into that. Okay, next question. What's been your favorite thing to look at? Wow. Well, one thing to know about me is that I don't really have favorites, I think that's why it's hard for me to, obviously, hard for me to choose a favorite tea. Things like favorite shows and favorite podcasts and favorite favorite colors and favorite places is really hard for me. So I'm just going to look at a list and tell you some of my favorites because I, that makes me feel less pressured. I did really like looking at the pinto bean. That was one of my favorites. I also really liked looking at the pink house because it was just nice to sit outside. And I remember it was during tour and I remember hearing the church bells. So I guess that's more of the experience of looking at it than looking at it. But maybe... You know, one one of my first my first episodes would be one of my favorites. I really liked looking at a little pink packet and a little blue one, <laughs> which was artificial sweeteners. But I don't know. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not really doing the question right. I just don't, I don't know. Number three, what is your opinion about what happens leading up to death and after death? Talk about a hard-hitting question. 
Well, in general, what happens leading up to death is pretty uniform. I mean, of course, different people are dying in different ways. They have different diseases. Some people die suddenly. Some people die very, very slowly. Some people have cancer. Some people are just very old. So leading up to death, though, a lot of things start to happen. So, and, and right now I'm talking about like an expected death. Like say you're on a deathbed and you have people coming to visit you and things like that. In that sort of situation, normally the person begins to be more withdrawn, um, is living a little more in their head and in their own consciousness. So spending a lot of time internally preparing for this moment. It takes a lot of energy to be worrying about the outside world at that point. And, you know, even eating, drinking, and swallowing become, are not important any, anymore. And they begin sleeping a lot. And then, you know, the slow shutdown of the body and eventually they stop breathing. And yeah, that's physically what, what happens leading up to death, but all sorts of interesting things can happen leading up to death. People have visions, people, you know, are visited by loved ones that have passed away before they, you know, have life review and all sorts of things happen. As far as after death, I definitely can't answer that. I guess you're asking for my opinion. My opinion is I don't know. I don't really have an opinion about what happens after death. I I don't believe that there... I could see it either way. I could see it being nothing and just... Yeah, just ceasing to exist and that's that's that. And I can also see survival of consciousness and a whole variety of opportunities. And I guess I sway more in that realm. I guess I'm saying I don't have any firm beliefs about that, but I do think that there's a lot of interesting research regarding near-death experience and survival of consciousness after death. And that kind of thing really just fascinates me and holds my interest. And it's more fun to think that Something amazing happens after you die, isn't it? Question number four, related. What inspired you to be a death doula? I heard about the role of a death doula on the radio one day, and I thought, and I should mention that death doulas are, in short, in a nutshell, a non-medical presence at the end of life, support, you know, supporting hospice and kind of bridging the gaps at the at the end of life. Anyway, I heard of the role and I just immediately knew that that's what I wanted to do and that's one career stream that I wanted to to pursue. So, And that's kind of unusual. Most of the time, people come to this work from having a personal experience, like someone very close to them was dying and they helped them go through that or they helped a fa- you know another family and navigate through the, that hard time. But I really didn't have that experience. I just 
it spoke to me in a way. Wow, another question number five about my work as a death doula. I didn't put these in order. They're in order by when they arrived in my email. So it's funny that all of these are death related. Oh, and by the way, I haven't read these until now. So it's a surprise. Dear Emily, how do you think your work as a death doula and as a musician affect each other? I think that death, as I said before, has always affected my music, but maybe now my work as a death doula helps me to maybe bring more, even more exploration and more fearlessness to my work as an artist. Because, I mean, basically, not to sound like an inspirational quote, but life life is short. We only have one life. If you want to do something, you should do it. And if you want to play around, if you want to experiment, I think you should do it. And that's that's one major thing I've taken away doing work with people who are dying. And I'm very grateful for that. And how my music affects my work as a death doula, I can... I can see problems sometimes in musical terms, or I can see solutions, rather, in musical terms. For instance, music can really help with discomfort at the end of life, and especially in people who have dementia, Alzheimer's and dementia, and memory problems. Um, music can really help them to feel like themselves again, and... I also can, you know, play music for them if that's what they want. And I think just generally being sensitive to to sound and music is can be really powerful at the end of life. Okay, number six. Have you always been interested in slow slash reflective slash boring stuff? Or when did it start appealing to you? Were you dreamy as a kid? I, hmm... I think I kind of have always been interested in slow, reflective stuff. I, to be honest, don't remember a whole lot about childhood or being a teenager even. But I do know that I I grew up in Florida and I I would often just go and sit at the beach all day, which some would call boring and just look out at the ocean. And when I was a child, I really loved taking pictures, and I took pictures of really boring things. Maybe all children do that. Uh, but I, I've always enjoyed the little tiny details of things and have thought that that's what makes the world a special place. I'm sure I was dreamy as a kid, but again, I don't really remember that. Um, I did paint and draw a lot and have a great imagination. I had a comic book about aliens. Um, yeah. Number seven. Is your choice of object for scrutiny dependent on mood, chance, serendipity, or some other criteria? Okay, they're asking like how I choose the object I think it's <laughs> it's maybe a combination sometimes I feel like looking at a 
particular thing, like something with a lot of text on it. Sometimes I feel like looking at something that's really super plain if I feel like I can take that on. And sometimes it's just whatever is laying around. Number eight. Are you a vegetarian? I am a vegetarian. I grew up pretty much vegetarian. My mother has really always been vegetarian, and so I didn't eat a whole lot of meat growing up. And I have eaten meat before. I haven't tried many different kinds of meats, but for the past six years or so, I've been on... I've pretty much not eaten... Well, I haven't eaten any dairy or meat, so it's a... It, it feels like a comfortable way of life for me, and I really actually like it. I really like eating the way I do, and I eat a lot, and I love food. Okay, number nine. Why is your band Loma called Loma? You know what? I really don't know, to be honest. I think we were just throwing around words that felt good to say, and we, you know, it means hill, in Spanish and it it kind of it looks cute and it sounds easy to say it's easy to spell we all like hills I really relate actually to the shape of a hill I draw hills a lot I like the the fact that it's a little bit of struggle but not as much as walking up a mountain would be that's why Loma is Loma it also kind of sounds like a name, like I could be called Loma. In fact, we call the Loma character kind of Loma Lady because sometimes we pitch my voice down. I happen to like it a whole lot more like that. And so we call it Loma Lady Voice, and I, I get to kind of pretend like I'm not me when I'm singing. It's pretty fun. Next question, number 10. Was it weird to work on your latest record with Dan after collaborating with him on many records before that one, including Loma? Um, no, it was not weird to work on my latest record with Dan. Actually, it feels extremely not weird because we've worked together on so many things before. We have pretty different approaches with music and that causes us to butt heads kind of a lot but it's one of those relationships where it, it, it's not um it doesn't feel uncomfortable really to butt heads with him because we both know that we're it's it's not there's no hard feelings and Dan is a person who takes criticism really well and I'd like to think that I take it well too, but I am stubborn. So I am fighting pretty hard for my for my way a lot of times. But no, it's not weird. Or it wasn't weird to work on my latest record. Oh, I just completely misunderstood that question. I read it wrong. The question was, was it weird to work on your latest record without Dan? Oh. <laughs> um that also wasn't weird. I don't know. I 
I guess my threshold for weird is really high, so it wasn't weird. It was just fun. And I was working with my friend Theo, who I've worked with for like over 10 years, so it was a very comfortable situation and a fun situation. And I also worked with my friend Andrew, who I hadn't worked with before, and it it was great. Okay, question 11. Can you recommend a musical artist that you like? Well, the very first person that comes to mind and one that just inspires me so much and one that you probably already know of, so I'm not sure how helpful this will be, is Rosalia. She is from Spain, and I don't know. When I watch her music videos, I just cry. Like, it speaks to me in a way I can't really understand it's just so beautiful and so on so many different levels I love it a lot so if you haven't heard of Rosalia you should definitely check her out number 12 are there particular musicians you'd like to collaborate with (sighs) yes I love collaborating I think that uh, it's so hard to think of on the spot like this I I would love to collaborate with maybe some crazy instrumentalists like uh, maybe like a really good flute player or a Someone who does something that I can't do at all. That sounds fun. 13. Are you hopeful about the future? Of course I am. Yes, I am hopeful about the future. But at the same time, I understand if you're not. Totally get that. 14. Hi, Emily. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got into creating music and lyrics and what keeps you going with it? Wishing you all good things. Thank you. I wish you all good things, too. Okay, uh, I got into making music. Let's remember this. I was in college for visual art, for drawing and painting, and I had to fill some different credits, and I had a lot of musician friends, and I thought they were really cool. And the, the place that I went to school is called School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and they have a really, really cool sound Um, sound department and I thought it would be cool to take sound because I was interested in making some installations with sound elements but I did not know where to start and so I took a class on modular synthesizers and I took after that I took some other other classes and I just kind of like I, for the first time, was critically listening to sound and music, and it, like, exploded my mind. I I couldn't believe that before then I hadn't really paid attention. And still at that point, songwriting wasn't really on my mind. It was more conceptual sound. I was listening to a lot of minimalist composers like Steve Reich and, you know, Terry Riley and different stuff like that, and really long pieces of of, um, you know, 
more minimalist music and instrumental music. And I made this piece. I had, for one of my finals, I had the chance to make either, well, the choices were a PowerPoint or a, a musical piece. And I was like, well, I'm not doing a PowerPoint. I'm going to do a musical piece. So I did that. I made it with my friend Theo, who I was just talking about, who I still make records with. And he helped me record this insane accordion and wine glasses kind of drone piece. And that was the first piece that I made. And then for my last year of college, well, that was in my last year of college, but I, the second half, I took a study abroad trip and did six months over in Ireland at the Berlin College of Art. And even though I was doing studio art there, drawing and painting, I met this guy, my friend Jimmy, who was there from NYU, I think was his exchange school. And he was making music and I was just starting to try to sing at the time and was kind of getting interested in songwriting, but seeing him construct songs on his computer was really fun. And he eventually asked me to sing on one of his tracks, and I was, like, so freaked out. I didn't know what to do, but eventually I had, like, a lot of Guinness, and I did it, and he liked it and it didn't sound horrible so that kind of gave me the confidence to start writing my own songs and I just kind of made lyrics out of my writings that's how I started and after that I I came home from Ireland I had like two or three three songs written I would go after class and just sing in the laundry room that's the only place I could find privacy and I would like stick my head into the the dryer to get natural reverb and I didn't know how to play any instruments so I would in garage band like make separate tracks for every single little thing it was insanity but it was really fun and that's how I got started and the the lyrics yeah they're just kind of they just kind of come out and then what what keeps me going with it I, hmm, that's a great question. I love being in the studio and experimenting in the studio. That's probably the most fun time for me. I am not super interested in touring. I like playing live shows, but that's not really why I make the music. This is something that I ask myself, what keeps me going with it? I guess I guess it's just enjoyment of making something like that. Okay, number 15. What music artist do you currently like or listen to? This is when I disappoint people when I answer this question. I actually don't really listen to music that much. I either listen to what's happening just around me, or sometimes I listen to a podcast, but I don't really listen to music 
I mentioned that I really like Rosalia, and that's true. I, I like a lot of music, but I wouldn't say I listen to a lot of music. I have so many talented, like super talented friends. Actually, my friend Jess just released a song that I love. I've really been loving it. It's called um, Rain on Tin. No, Wind on Tin. Sorry, Jess, if you're listening. Sorry about that. It's kind of like country. I'm not even going to try. It's it's just a great song. And actually, Dan recorded it. And I also really love Bonnie Raitt and Carla Bonoff. Probably my, if I had to choose a favorite song, which I don't, but I would choose the song personally by Carla Bonoff. Look, look up that song, Carla Bonoff, personally. I think that at least in your heart you'll smile when you listen to that song. Question number 16. If you could go back in time and help a previous version of yourself, which version would it be and what would you do to help? You know, I want to immediately say I want to go and help 21-year-old me or, no, 19-year-old me or something to be more confident and eat better food and not drink as much. But I don't know that I would go back, even if I could, and help that version of myself because, I mean, this is a predictable answer, but, you you know... I wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be the same person. Maybe I'd be a better person. I don't know if I would be able to help myself. But I think what I ultimately would have liked to change if that was possible was just making sure I knew that I would be okay and maybe to have a little more confidence in myself. This is a funny question, number 17. Do you think you'll leave your hair long again? I think it means, do you think you'll ever have long hair again? I don't know. Do you think I should? I, I was, I did have it long, you know, not too long ago, but that time, that go around, I really felt like it wasn't, I just, I got so sick of it, and I just really wanted short hair again, but never say never, I do love, my, my hair used to be super, super long, like, down to my butt, and I, I do love extreme hair like that, I really love it, but I'm not sure if it's right for me. Number 18. ¿Te gusta leer palabras o frases en español? Okay. Do you like to read questions in Spanish? Oh no, I'm going to have to look this up. You know what? If I could go back in time to teach my old self something, I would say learn Spanish faster. Do I like to read words or phrases in Spanish? Okay. I almost had I almost had it. I yes, but I do want to keep progressing in Spanish. And I think for me and for a lot of people it needs to be like full immersion, which isn't gonna be happening in the near future, so I don't know. Or at least I don't think it will. But I am slowly but surely learning. The next question is, how many languages can you read? (laughs) And that is pretty much one, English. I can read a little bit of Spanish, and I can read a little bit of Japanese, but not, 
in any consistent real way. I could probably read like some signs and basic, um, you know, basic instructions or foods or something like that, but definitely not on like a fluent basis. Number 20, what are some of your favorite albums that you've been listening to for the past couple of years? Okay, I will say I just remembered that the low album, Double Negative, is really exciting. And if you haven't heard that one, I would say hear it. Probably as soon as I stop recording, I'm going to remember a bunch of things that I, sh- I wanted to say, but that's okay. 21. Can you tell us a little bit about your songwriting process? Do you tend to start with the melodies or the instrumentation? Do the melodies come easily? I love the melodies on the recent Cross Record album. That's so sweet. Thank you. Melody is something that I love and I have struggled with in the past because I'm kind of like a plain, I'm a plain talker. If you go back and listen to my older records, you won't hear a whole lot of melodic variation. And I have really been trying to bring that out in myself. So with the last record, I did focus more on melodies first, and I would kind of record like melodic ideas before I even had words or anything like that. But normally I do start with lyrics And I let the lyrics kind of form the shape of the song. And then I, you know, record some and then subtract and add and subtract. And it's kind of a a long process. So it's a lot of, it's not straightforward is what I'm saying. Sometimes I do start with the instrumentation though. I don't think I'm a very consistent writer at all. 22, when is the new Loma record coming out? I have no idea, to be completely honest. I can tell you that it's it is done and it's almost being done mastered so it will probably get released this year but that's not set in stone number 23 what is your wish so i'm gonna wish something that's super relevant for right now and what i wish is that the coronavirus would stop being a problem and stop freaking everybody out. Also, I wish that selfishly so that my boat wouldn't be canceled in May. I'm really happy there's not a hundred questions now. (laughs) That would have been so many. Okay, 24. Will you tell us a story from when you were starting to realize slash see that your art was spreading out and connecting to people. I have a funny story. I don't think that this is answering this story, but when I was a kid and I started painting, I started painting with oil when I was like nine or something, maybe eight or nine. And my dad had the idea that I should start selling them on eBay because he said, once you sell a painting, then that means you're a professional artist. And then you can go around saying that you're a professional artist because you've made money from it. And so I was making all these paintings and I was putting them online on eBay. My dad was helping me put them on eBay and they were selling. I just thought, wow, this is amazing. I'm making these paintings like from my heart and people are buying them and I'm so excited. But just a couple years ago, maybe not even 
two years ago, maybe a year ago, my dad was here visiting in Austin, and we were out to dinner, and my brother said something that was like, oh yeah, and I can't believe that dad was the one who was buying your paintings. I found out that my dad was the one buying the paintings from from me, and I felt this mixture of like betrayal and that it was just hilarious and also it was really sweet but I'm still confused how I feel about it I don't know but I don't remember when when I started to realize that my art was spreading out and connecting to people I I've always been sharing things I've always you know had like a live journal right I don't have a live journal anymore but I have always been sharing works of art and everything, so I'm not sure if I'm aware of when it actually started, but I guess maybe when I started making music. And I don't remember any stories about that. I'm sorry. 25, when did you start looking at things? Uh, As soon as my eyes started to work, I guess. Not sure what age babies are when their eyes start to work. Maybe like a few weeks old. I don't know. And maybe I, I was looking at things before that. Who knows? Oops! I accidentally. I accidentally did this question two times. So that was both twenty-five and twenty-six. Twenty-seven, or twenty-six, I guess. How can we learn to look at things better? I think that. You shouldn't be, I mean, I don't think there is a way to look at things better. I think better is such a, I don't know, maybe not the best way to to look at it. I feel like I'm not really making sense right now. I think that in general, maybe trying to slow down, maybe trying to relax into just focusing on one thing is the advice that you might be looking for. And you can really you can really find a whole lot of beauty in just about anything that you can look at. And if you don't see the beauty in it, then you maybe you should try looking at it closer or getting, you know, get a microscope. I used to have a microscope when I was a kid that was a USB and it would like plug into the computer and you could see it bigger on the computer screen. Maybe get one of those. Have you ever started looking at something and then decided not to? Yeah, I think so. Can't remember what though. Is there anything you wish you hadn't looked at? No. There's not. I'm trying, I said that really fast, and now I'm trying to think, is there something that I wish I hadn't looked at? Mm, I still, I'm just going to go with no. Do you ever find yourself trying not to look at some things? No. And actually, I have what some people will call a staring problem. I love looking at things so much, and a lot of times it's people, 
it, I think it's not entirely normal in our culture to just stare at someone, but gosh, sometimes it's so hard not to stare at someone when they look, you know, some people just have the way their faces move, the way, the way they express their emotions, you know, everything, what they're wearing, the shape of them, how they occupy space, how they're standing. It's just so endlessly interesting to me. It's people is, it's, is a lot of, it's, you only get in trouble for staring at people, really. Or people think, just think you're weird. If you ever catch me staring at you, I don't know, I hope it's okay. 31, has looking at something ever changed your understanding of it? Yes, I'm sure that it has, but I'm struggling to think of an example. I'm going to roll this in my mind around like a rock tumbler and if something emerges then I'll come back to that but yeah I think I think so 32 you're deeply involved in many different fields of endeavors that seem pretty tangentially related death doula musician artist podcaster slash meditation guide that's wow I've never considered myself a meditation guide so that's pretty cool is there a relationship between these roles and what is it? I think that everything is related because I do all of it. My art informs my music. My music informs my work as a doula. My, I use my voice to do a podcast. I'm interested in mindfulness and looking at things and that's also related to art and being a doula and to me it all just kind of feels like different expressions of the same interests and and things that I'm drawn to so it is sometimes hard to dedicate time to those different avenues of life though it gets kind of confusing Number 33, have you noticed changes in the way you look at things as a result of major life events? Example, giving up alcohol. Hmm. Well, I'm just going to go off of that example because there's a lot I could say about that question. But giving up alcohol, yeah, has changed the way I look at things in the way that my mind just in general feels a whole lot more clear and I think that I can hear my inner voice more more clearly and more more directly and I think that that naturally affects how I look at things and how I experience life and so many other so many other ripples of my life have been affected by giving up alcohol but 34, is there anything besides departed friends and loved ones that was once part of your life that you wish you could look at again? For instance, there was a toy ring that I and my sister and our cousin lost in an old wooden frame TV set at my grandma's house. We looked for it for many years into teenhood, not so much out of desire for the thing itself, but out of wonderment that it simply had vanished. 
I even took apart several TVs looking for it, but it was gone. I don't know why, but I would really like to see it again, just to know what this item that spent most of its life with us being lost looked like. That's so fun. Thank you for sharing that. There's this one thing I think of a lot. I mean, not a lot, but every now and then that I would love to just look at again. And that would be these fake flowers that it was like, maybe I'm reminded by reading your story about this um, this toy ring that you wrote about. But when I was a kid, I had these, this, it was like a set. It was like a, what is it? It was like a toy, but for young girls, I, I guess. And you kind of, the whole point was you would make your own flowers. And they were scented. And there was like different stems you could choose. And you popped on different petals or different types of pollens. And it was like a make your own flowers kit that were plastic. And they smelled like fragrant flowers. And I just have a vague memory of playing with that, but I would love to just see it and maybe smell it as well. I think it would bring back some memories, but for some reason I do think about those flowers from time to time. Hi, Pinky. Are you political? If yes, in in which way? Love. Okay, I I would say I'm going to interpret this question a certain way and answer it by saying, no, I wouldn't call myself political, but I, I think it's so cool when people can get so into it and know exactly what all the politicians are about and all the issues, and I do, I do vote, but I tend to be a little more, well, I tend to be less vocal about my political views. And I would say that I make certain decisions with my money that I view as political. Um, and, you know, I, I even think, and I don't think it should really be a political issue, but I make decisions about what I don't buy as well, like a lot of plastic and a lot of things that are bad for the environment. And I do think about my environmental impact quite a bit and try my best in that way, and I guess that can be interpreted as being political, but I think in short, I wouldn't call myself a political person, though I do have opinions on the matter. 37. People often ask themselves, what is the meaning of life? My question to you is, what is your understanding of meaning? Meaning. 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 Meaning, repeating the word, I think, is helping. Meaning, maybe reason is another word that's similar. Meaning, finding a sense of meaning is like finding a sense of belonging or or place or security maybe that's a complicated one to think about 
I think the problem is that meaning is like a feeling that you have that it's hard to describe. Like, just like we have a word for love, but it's so it's so much more than a word can even get close to touching. So, 38. Why did you decide to move to England? I decided to move to England for a change in scenery. I'm a citizen there, so it's naturally a lot easier for me to live there than other places besides here. I have family in England. I have a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles, and I haven't spent a whole lot of time with them in my life, and it sounds nice to kind of maybe have a little more family around. And also the the place, the region in England that I'm moving to really speaks to me. It's surrounded by water on three sides. Being near the ocean again just seems so, it sounds so good to me. And being a little more remote and living a more quiet life really appeals to me as well. So for those reasons. But I really, I haven't lived anywhere else than than the U.S. really, so we'll see if I like it. 39. What are your favorite authors and books except George Saunders? Well, I have been reading a good book. It's called Waterlog, A Swimmer's Journey Through Britain, and it is by the author Roger Deakin. It is just such a lovely book. It is a lot of descriptive language around water and nature and I love I love that and he just so beautifully describes the feeling of swimming and floating and discovering places to swim and I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, Waterlog by Roger Deakin. And an author that I really love is John McPhee. I'm thinking of one of his books called Oranges. And John McPhee is, he's one of these writers that goes super deep into one topic. He has a whole book on long-haul truck drivers. And this one on oranges is like all about citrus fruit and I think probably a lot of people would think they're boring books, but I just love the attention to detail and the passion he infuses into these kind of, I don't know, normal-seeming things that people maybe wouldn't think to read about. Did you know that Willa, W-I-L-A, is a female nature spirit in Slavic mythology? I didn't know that, but I love... Did you hear that? That was Pepita. Uh, I did not know that, but I'm going to look it up. 41. What are 10 things you have that you would save in a flood? You're amazing. I love you. (laughs) This must be one of my friends, but maybe not. I love you too. 10 things. Okay. Number one will be Pepi. Number two would be probably my tea set my like my teapot and probably some cups 
number three might be my Nintendo DS Lite because I play Tetris on it every day. Number four would be I have a one box of photographs that I would save. I'm struggling to think of six more. If I wasn't wearing my glasses, I would probably grab those for practical reasons. Now I have five more to handle. I would save... I would save... I mean, if I didn't have my wallet, I would grab that. And maybe some pieces of artwork that are important to me. I can't think of ten. Is that crazy? I don't... I don't know. Forty-two. Have you had any especially good encounters with fans? Or especially bad? I... I'm gonna combine this question into one person. Well, actually, no. I'll tell you a couple things. So, in Germany, we were playing some shows, and I don't know if you know this, but in Europe, people tend to be a lot more straightforward with their opinions about your music. And we were in Germany, and the the person that approached me was there to see Shearwater, which was who we were cross record was opening for and this person came up to me after the show and told me that he really didn't like our set and he was just launching into all these th- these explanations about why he didn't like it and I just thought it was hilarious because I, it's just not something that I'm used to hearing, I guess, and he was friendly, he wasn't being, I think he just was really just offering his feedback, and in a very straightforward way, and I just found that really funny, anyway, he actually came to the show the next day, because he wanted to see Shearwater again, and he was nearby, and he came up to me again after the show, and I thought, First of all, I was surprised that he had come to see the opening band, us open for Shearwater again because, you know, knowing that he didn't like what he heard. And he said he said to me, I came back because, you know, I, I didn't like it, but I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I didn't know why I didn't like it. And I just like, I kind of wanted to hear it again. And he said, you know what, this time I kind of like, I kind of get it. I kind of get it, what you're going for. And I, I don't not like it anymore. And so I thought that was, I just, it made me really happy. Not that I really cared about winning him over or anything, but he bought a CD and then he said, you know what, I'm coming to the show tomorrow as well. He's a really big Shearwater fan. So sure enough, the next show he was at, And by that time, we had fully converted him. He was a fan. So that was kind of good and bad. It wasn't ever bad, but 
I would say one bad one that we had, it was Loma on tour, and we had we have a song called I Don't Want Children, and I didn't even write that song. I just sang it, though I can, I can understand why someone would think I did write it. Um, Jonathan wrote that song, and it is maybe unexpected that a man would write a song called I Don't Want Children. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I had... Actually, I've had several men come up to me after after the show and specifically address that song and and tell me, you know, you should really consider reconsider not your stance on not having children. You're so young and you know, you're going to want them someday. And I don't think I have to explain to you all why why that upset me, but I just wanted to say, I mean, I didn't feel like I needed to justify myself, but I just wanted to say, you know, I didn't even write those lyrics, I didn't even write that song, and also, what makes you feel like you can walk up to me and tell me that I should reconsider life choices? Anyway, that was kind of bad. That was probably the worst. 43, can you tell us who the music used in the podcast is by? I really like it, and I think it sets the mood really well. Thanks. Wow, thank you. I made the music. I actually made it for someone else's YouTube channel, but then when I started the podcast, I thought it fit really well, so I've been using it ever since. And thank you. If you would like, person, if you're listening to this, if you would like to email me, I will send you the the file the song, if you'd like, if you want it just to listen to without the podcast, I will send it to you. 44. Do you believe in life after death? I don't, I don't not believe in life after death. Number 45. Tell us about one of your best experiences playing live and one of the worst. One of the best experiences playing live was... Probably the best experience playing live was when Loma was playing at the Sub Pops 30th anniversary show in Seattle, right on the sound. It was an outdoor show, and I got it in my head that at the last song, Relay Runner, I would strip off my clothes. I was wearing a bathing suit under my clothes, and at the end of the song, strip off my clothes run through the cra- off the stage through the crowd into the sound and dance around in the water while the band was still playing and then run back out of the water still in my bathing suit and back up on the stage where some very confused stagehands were throwing me towels little rags for me to dry off and then finish the song that was probably my favorite show experience that was just so fun because the crowd I mean it, people were people turned around and followed me to the beach and were like cheering me on from the water and the energy was just it was it was amazing one of the worst you know I don't I don't remember one particularly bad show. I mean, 
I've definitely had bad shows with like technical difficulties, lyrics forgotten, really bad moments. I've been like way too drunk on stage before. I don't know, but I one doesn't stick out as the worst. Maybe that's good. 46. Is there a question you'd like to ask yourself? Hmm. Do I need a drink of water? Yes. Done. I'm happy I asked myself that. 47. Are you going on tour with Loma promoting the new album? You know what? Probably not. It just doesn't really make a whole lot of financial sense at the moment. We're not at a point where we would sell enough tickets to justify bringing the band that we would want to bring on the road. The last tour cost us quite a a lot of money, and I think this time we're going to be maybe playing a few select shows in some cities, and maybe, you know, in the UK and Europe. It's, everything's kind of close together in Europe, so it's a little easier, but it's still so expensive, and I think we're going to be creating some good videos in lieu of a long tour, but things could change. It's in the very beginning stages of us, you know, finishing or starting our new album cycle, so things could change. 48, we're almost done. What's the largest venue or crowd you've played for and the smallest? Clap, clap, clap for all you do. Thank you for the claps. Appreciate it. The largest venue or crowd I've played for, um, I don't know, probably maybe the Sub Pop 30th anniversary thing. I feel like those kind of shows, like outdoor festival types, you get to play for a whole lot more people because it's outside and there's just a ton of people just around. But I'm not sure what the biggest venue was. And the smallest, I mean, we've played for like one person before. But we really played a good show for that one person. 49, did you actually play with the pink tennis balls or did you just save them for future time? I've played with them two times already. When I first got them, I we immediately started playing with them. So even though they're precious, they're not precious enough not to play with. Pink tennis balls should be used, you know? 50. Why Pinky? Well, Pinky is a name that I was given twice. Once, when I was a child, a kid, I I used to do gymnastics, and I was a pretty small kid, and I was a tumbler, you know, doing backflips and stuff, and so my friends would call me Pinky, like a pinky finger. And then, separately, when we were on tour with, with, mm, I think it was the Crossworker Cheerwater show, a uh, tour, and when we, when people started calling me Pinky, was on that tour because Emily, the keyboard player, and the woman in Cheerwater and in Loma, she, her name is Emily, obviously, I just said that, and it would get confusing, and we messed around with, like, E1 and E2, and that just sound, it felt weird, and people wouldn't call me just by my last name, 
And then, actually, I have this suitcase, and it's pink, and at some point in the tour, probably when we became kind of delirious a couple weeks in, we started to, what's it called when you make an inanimate object animate? We started to, like, act like the suitcase was kind of a person or talk about the suitcase as if it were a person because it kind of has a like more of a personality than a lot of suitcases and there's this kind of rhythm you get into with tour where you know you like load up and then you, you get suitcases in and every, everyone's suitcase in and for some reason no one would call my suitcase my suitcase they would call it pinky and I hope this is making sense but eventually it just kind of became to a point where like pinky was me and it was my suitcase, and I don't know if, yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to make sense to you, but I really relate to the name. I just, I love pink. I'm kind of small, and it's cute. 51, are you touring with Loma after you release your next album? That's kind of a repeat question. Thank you for asking, though. I appreciate all the interest. Number 52, what type of dog is Peppy, and has she been with you long? Thanks. Peppy, as far as we know, is a chihuahua. And she, to me, I thought when we first caught her, I thought she was like a rat terrier chihuahua mix. But someone told me that she's a what's called a deer chihuahua. And I've looked online and it does really look like her. And from what I understand, deer chihuahuas are just like bigger and have a different shaped head. So she's a chihuahua and she's she doesn't act like a chihuahua at all she's very quiet and she never barks and she's super calm uh so yeah and actually today she has been with me for a year i adopted her when she was already pretty old and she's she's my little baby the very last question is what do you aspire to with your music? I aspire to affect people in a positive way, to maybe help people not feel alone, to speak to people directly, I guess just connection maybe, uh, maybe to inspire people as well. And I aspire to fulfill myself with my music in the way that it's fun for me and satisfying for me to make something. But I don't really have any, like, particular professional aspirations for my music. I, I, I don't, I think I maybe used to. And it's nice to be recognized and for people to listen and... It creates opportunities, so I'm not against it or anything, but that's just, that's not the primary goal. Wow, we made it. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted a question. You can keep submitting questions if you'd like. I'm going to leave a page up on my website to ask a question, and maybe I'll just periodically answer some. Not sure what shape that will take, but if you ever do have a question, just leave it for me and 
I will answer it. But yeah, thank you again for be- for listening, for being here for 100 episodes. Here's to 100 more. And it's been just so fun to be here through all of the different life changes I've I've gone through over the years. I did take a long break of what I'm looking at. I think it was 2018 I took a break. But I hope just to keep keep making it and thank you all for your support and and again for the questions. We will be back or I will be back talking to you next week for episode 101. Okay, love to you all.